The following message entitled, The Church Works Better with Deacons, Part 5 of the series, Church Works, was given by Joe Ryer on December 8, 2013 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Joe. I'm also one of the pastors here. And uh, if this is your first Sunday, we're just so glad to have you with us this morning. Let's pray and then we'll dig into God's Word. Father, thank you that, first of all, we can call you Father because of what we celebrated in communion, that you sent your Son to live and die for us. Jesus, thank you that you conquered sin and death. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you dwell in us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to to understand your word today. You would encourage us. Lord, I pray for every single person present that we would all receive encouragement and strength and help from you this morning. And Lord, we pray as a church we would be able to apply what we learned last Sunday, that we would be a church marked by love because we are amazed of your great love for us. So Lord, I just ask for your help. I pray that this message would strengthen and encourage this church. And Lord, we we ask this for for your glory and fame. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 6. We're going to go there in a moment. Today is the final day of our five-week series on the church. So we've been going through a series called Church Works. And one of the the primary reasons we've been going through this series is because we are in the process of revising and strengthening our church government. Now, depending on your church background, that may be exciting to you or it, it may sound very boring to you. But it is very important how a church is organized, and we're, we're trying to do it based on God's Word, matters and it affects things. So just to recap, so far, first message, we learned that the church belongs to Jesus. The church, local and universal, is Jesus' church. It belongs to no man. It belongs to Jesus, who is both God and man, who gave his very life for the church. So Jesus is head of this church and the church throughout the world. Then the second message was every Christian needs the church. The third was God calls elders or pastors to lead the church. And then last week... Bob did a good job reminding us that love is essential for the church to work. And though we've been talking about structure and and different components to a church, the most important mark for Christians, followers of Jesus, is love. And today the last message is going to be on the subject, the role, the office of deacons. And the title of this message is the church works better with deacons. So I'm going to guess that most of you woke up this morning thinking, as you considered your life and circumstances and current pressures, you probably had a thought, I hope they preach on deacons this morning. That will really help my life. So I imagine probably most of you, if not all of you, were thinking that when you woke up. I realize that's probably not the case. But I want to persuade you that the role, the office of deacons, really matters for local churches. And so the the big driving idea of this message is a growing church 
is stronger and will have a greater impact with recognized, skilled, qualified deacons. A growing church is stronger and will have a greater impact with recognized, skilled, qualified deacons. So if you haven't thought much about it or you're, you're thinking, I'm not sure how it relates to my life or to the church, let me, let me get it a different way. Do you have a heart and concern that the sick among us be cared for? So the members of our church who have ongoing illness or ailments, do you desire that they are cared for? Do you desire that the single parents among us are not overlooked and that they receive care and attention and their needs are met? Do you desire that those who, who are struggling financially among us get to be on the, the benefit of those of you who have more to, to give them? Do you desire that our church finances are handled in a right and wise and skilled way? Do you desire that as a church we would make many disciples and be able to reach this region for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm going to assume if you're a follower of Jesus, you would answer yes to all those. Well, the office of deacon has a lot to do with those things. And I'm going to persuade you from, primarily from Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3 that this really is a role in the church that helps fulfill all the things that I just described. So the first point of this message is the church needs deacons to effectively fulfill its mission. The church needs deacons to effectively fulfill its mission. I want to start with the beginning of Christianity, not to bore you, but just to set the stage for how this idea, this role of deacons developed in the church. I want to start by reading Matthew 28, the Great Commission. So that the, the timetable is Jesus has already risen from the dead. He is commissioning the twelve to go out and make disciples. So he says the following. What's well, 11 minus Judas? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you got Peter, James, and John and the other apostles being commissioned by Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, Luke tells us right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he gives them some more specific instructions. Acts 1.8 to the disciples, to the apostles. But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The idea that Jesus is commissioning them and calling them to go first to Jerusalem, then to Samaria, and then all over the world sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And they needed to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Well, the Holy Spirit came... And one of the first things that happened is Peter began to preach. When Peter began to preach, 3,000 people repented, turned from their sins, put their faith in Jesus, 
And the church exploded right at the beginning. So the disciples, the twelve, are doing what they were called to do. And things are, are taking off. And so you read from Acts 1 to Acts chapter 6, the church is growing. There's some challenges, there's some persecution, but numerically they are making disciples. They are doing what Jesus commissioned them to do. Well, it all sounds great, and they are going for it. And then Acts 6 happens. And it's sort of like the honeymoon is over. Conflict in the church begins to arise in a pretty significant way. And that's where we're going to pick up in Acts 6, starting in verse 1. Because I believe in Acts 6 is where we get the the beginning of the deacon office and role. So look in your Bibles at Acts 6, starting at verse 1. Now in these days, church is growing numerically, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, or the Greeks, who were Jewish, arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, most likely of food. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paramus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So what was happening here is significant. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say if this wasn't handled correctly, it would have greatly affected the apostles' job in making disciples from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Some Bible scholars estimate at this point in the New Testament church in Jerusalem, there could have been upwards of 20,000 people counting women and children. So this is a large group of people. And what's happening is a need arised and, and there was some friction and some tension happening in the church. And the tension was between two groups of widows. There were the Jewish widows and then there were the Greek-speaking widows who spoke a different language but were Jewish converts and now Christian converts. And the, the minority population was being neglected. So you can imagine, this was one that was riddled with potential strife that could have really derailed the church in a very significant way. And Luke doesn't tell us, but it just says a complaint kept coming up to the apostles. That most likely, there were others among the Greek-speaking population who were really concerned about their friends, loved ones, fellow Greeks who were being neglected. And they're watching the Hebrew women eating their food, not lacking anything. So there's this tension and turmoil happening. One of the effects of this turmoil is the apostles were being distracted from the Great Commission, from the very thing Jesus commissioned them to do. 
Which is why in verse 2 of Acts 6, the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Now that can be misunderstood, I think, very easily. But their point was, not that they were beyond serving in menial ways, their point was Jesus called them to make disciples, to serve God's Word, to be ministers of God's Word. And so it was not right that they should give up preaching to serve tables, is what they said. Now just to to make sure you don't misunderstand, they had been trained by Jesus Himself. And Jesus is the one who said, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give His life as a ransom for many. So they weren't anti-serving at all. They just knew that God called them to serve primarily through prayer and preaching and teaching and equipping and evangelism and making disciples. And so, if they were going to do something else, it was out of step with what they were called to do. Here's a, an example that might, might help us understand this. Imagine you're having a car problem. And you drive your, I have a minivan, you drive your minivan to the local garage, engine's making all kinds of noises, and you have the embarrassing moment where you try to make the sound to the mechanic, and it sounds like, or whatever it would be. I've done that many times, it's very humbling. And, and they just happen to notice that as you pull the car in and they're about to pop the hood, well, that car's really messy. There are french fries everywhere, there are pretzels on the floor, there's moldy hamburger in the back. And they, they decide, well, we'll just clean the van for them. And you go back a couple days later to pick up the van, and you open the door. Wow, this car looks great. Well, I didn't know you guys were going to clean the car. You did a great job. Then you turn on the key to the ignition, and the same sounds there, and they never fix the car. The idea is that, that they, they are called to do a very specific thing, which is fix the car. That's what we're we're giving money to in that, that situation. So if they were serving by doing something other than what their role was, it actually wouldn't help the big picture. I wouldn't be driving home in my car. And that, that's kind of the idea here, is that as the apostles, and I would say pastors in the New Testament, we're called to give ourselves to preaching and study and prayer and making disciples, and equipping the church for works of ministry. And when we're devoted to that, it it blesses and strengthens the church. Now that doesn't mean that Mark, Bob, or I, or any pastor I know, thinks that they are above serving. And all of us in our homes, we, we take out the trash, we mow the lawn. When our kids are little, we change diapers. We do all the serving stuff that others do. But vocationally, we're called to preach and study and proclaim God's Word. And that's what the disciples were all about. So they call the brothers together, the disciples, and they come up with a solution. Because they were concerned that the widows would be cared for. So look at verse 3 of chapter 6. The twelve say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer 
and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Well, I believe, and many Bible scholars believe, that this is the introduction to the office of deacon. So the seven men that were chosen really are the deacons that Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy 3. And so you might be, be wondering, well, what exactly is a deacon? Here's, here's my definition based on what I see in the Bible. Deacons are recognized, skilled, godly servants that free up the pastors or elders to do their primary work of preaching, prayer, study, equipping the saints in evangelism, discipleship, and ensuring that the temporal needs of the church are met. They're, 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 they're not just servants. We're all called to be servants. But this office, this role, was established for a group of people in a local church that are meeting certain qualifications that we're going to see and have an ability of skill and a desire to serve. And, and so you get the picture of Acts 6. You have upwards of 20,000 people. We don't know how many widows are there, but it seems like there's a significant number. And so these, these men are commissioned to bring care. And so there's a, a, a skill level of wisdom. There's an ability to navigate probably attitudes that were flying both ways between the Greeks and the Jewish people. And there's an ability to administrate to make sure that there is ongoing care for a very vulnerable part of the church. And so it's a significant role. And the reason it's important is because of verse 7. So they establish this role from what we can understand These men step up to the role. They fulfill the role. And look what happens in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So as these seven deacons began to care and serve others, the twelve began to preach and proclaim the gospel all over Jerusalem. And the reality is many people were rescued from going to hell, from being objects of God's wrath, as these guys were able to be free to preach and to proclaim and to make disciples. So it really is connected. It really is important because as a church, as Christians, we want to care for all people. And I know you guys want to care for all people. And as, as a church grows numerically, there are more people and there are more cares and there are more concerns. And I think it's easy, I know it's easy, for, for groups to get neglected. And so God gives deacons as a gift to the church to make sure that doesn't happen, to make sure that it's not just, it's not the same as, let's say in Acts 6, well, I really have a heart for the Greek widows who are being neglected. And so I just talk about it all the time. I complain about it. I bring it to people's attention. But I don't do anything about it. These deacons were established to do something about it, to make sure that that there really was good, ongoing care occurring and the gospel spread as a result. 
Well, for those of you who have been around for a while or maybe you're newer to the church, a question that might come up, is this a new idea for our church, for Sovereign Grace Church in Indiana? Is this a new idea? That's not the easiest question to answer. I don't think it is a new idea, but I think it has been fuzzy in our understanding. It's kind of like right now I'm not wearing my glasses. I can see you guys. I can see especially the, the first few rows fairly well. But those of you in the back, it's fuzzy. I can't make out all the distinctions. I think as we, we are just examining the Bible and thinking through our church government, we're getting a clearer picture of how important this office, this role of deacons is. So there have been many of you for years who have served in many of the ways that I have described in the definition of deacon. And you serve to this point. Where we, we have not been real clear is on the, the qualifications and the calling it an official role or an office. And I think there's some value and warrant to, to that because that seems to be what Paul does in 1 Timothy 3, which we're going to head to in a moment. Now that doesn't mean that only deacons are to serve in the church. We're all called to serve. And I think one of the strengths of our church is that we're a church of servants. You guys serve in formal ways and informal ways all over the place. And, and that's right, and we want that to continue, and Jesus is our great example in that. But what I'm trying to persuade and argue for is a more formal role as well. It's a servant who can organize others to serve and who themselves serves as well and feels responsible, let's say, for a particular group in the church. So how could that that possibly work out in our church. Here would be some ideas of where I think fits the deacon role. And we have people serving in these roles already. So over our finances and our financial team, that is, a, I think, a very clear deacon role in the Bible. That you want trustworthy, godly people assisting the pastors, overseeing the finances. And with that comes distribution of money. could be giving money for, for those of you who are just having a challenge financially. That, that can be a real great way for the church to care for those of us who struggle financially. That there's just somebody responsible and thinking about to make sure it happens. Um, another way could be in the Kids Cove. Um, if you're newer to the church, our Kids Cove runs on over 100 volunteers and safety is a high priority, and they're, they're doing a good job training the teachers. It's very administratively complicated. And so there are core people that are servants that are, are making all this happen. So everybody in the Kid Cove serves, but a few people serve in very unique ways that, that makes it all run well. Um, we, we love being in this building, and we've been in this building a little over two years. But this building requires all kinds of oversight. And so I think that's a way for a deacon role, somebody who is trustworthy, to just oversee both the inside and outside of the building. And and one of the effects that does is it frees up the pastors to be able to give themselves to study, to teaching, to preaching. So right now, Bob is a pastor. We just ordained him. But one of his responsibilities is also overseeing the building. Now, he has skills in that direction as well, but our our desire would be to have others who could 
could volunteer and take up some of that responsibility so that Bob could, could have a full-time devotion to God's Word, to prayer, etc. So there could be a number of others. One could be a deacon of care, making sure that those in the church who are, those of you who are single parents, that, that may have just unique needs that, that we want to be aware of and make sure you're being cared for, that there will be somebody who, who's thinking about that regularly and serving in that capacity and getting others to serve as well. So we've been a little fuzzy. I believe the Lord's helping us get clearer in our understanding. And as we're working on our church government, this will be a, a part of the church government, that we really will have deacons involved in this way of serving to free us up to, to give ourselves to this book. And I know this may raise some questions for some of you, so we'd be happy to field questions. Just contact myself or Mark or Bob, and we'd be happy to do that. But keep in mind, the effect is what we desire. We desire that the church is cared for in a really good, intentional way, and we desire that the gospel spreads throughout this area. And we would love to see churches planted from this church. And I think the role, the office of deacon is integral in that, that idea. So that's why it's important. Well, who qualifies to be a deacon? Flipping your Bibles to 1 Timothy 3. First Timothy chapter 3. Right after we, Paul writes about the elders' qualifications... He switches to the deacons' qualifications. He says, deacons, verse 8, likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, not sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons, each be the husband of one wife, manage their children and their own household well. For those who serve as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So the Bible gives very clear qualifications for deacons. And I'm just going to put them under uh, uh, several headings. The first is, deacons must be qualified in character. They must be qualified in character. They must be dignified. They must have a good reputation. So in in verse 8, Paul begins to explain that. They must be respectful, other translations say. They must not be double-tongued. They must not say one thing to this group, and a totally different thing to this group, because they wouldn't be trustworthy. They mustn't be addicted to much wine, or any kind of alcohol, or drugs. They, they can't be enslaved to other substances. Their character must be above reproach. They must not be greedy for dishonest gain. So, you can't be a thief and be a deacon. Particularly if, if a deacon is someone who's going to be 
handling, having access to money of the church. They need to be a trustworthy person. And then verse 10 says, let them be tested first. So one of the things as we're thinking through our church government, there, there needs to be some sort of time and mechanism in place just to, to let people's character be known over time. The idea is these characteristics are very similar to that of elders with the exception that they don't have to be able to teach. There's not a teaching component to the office of deacon. That doesn't mean that someone can't be a deacon and then become a pastor or become an evangelist like Philip in the book of Acts. But it's not a stepping stone ministry. It is something that people feel called to serve the church in a very specific way. So there must be godly character. There must be evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. Second category is they must be sound in their life and doctrine. That there must be evidence that they understand the gospel. Verse 9 says, They must hold to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. And that idea of holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience is there's faith and repentance, there's orthodoxy, there's sound belief in who Jesus is and what he's come to do, and that's actually changed their life. That, that's affected the way they live. They're different because of encountering Jesus Christ. There's a clear conscience in their faith. Another way to say it is what they, what they preach is what they practice. What they, what they say they believe is evidenced by the way they live. And really, these character qualifications should be things that mark all of us as followers of Jesus. So what else qualifies someone to be a deacon? They must be skilled in the area that they serve. And I, I think you understand that. So, you could be really godly, but if you are terrible with like handling your checkbook, and you lose things all the time, and you lose bills, and you forget to pay things on time, but you're, you're godly and you're responsible, we wouldn't ask you, and the church wouldn't want you, to be that at the point of the church's finances. It wouldn't, wouldn't be because you're not a godly person. It's just not your gifts. It's not your strength. If, if math was just what you dreaded in high school, well, then you're not the financial team leader of the church. You have other gifts, many gifts. That's just not yours. So there has to be a level of skill. So it's interesting in Acts when, when they were asking, okay, who, who should be the deacons among us? They said, choose men of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. So there's a wisdom component. And depending on where the deacon is responsible, different skills may be required. But there's real skill and benefit. And it seems like, Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3, it hints to administrative ability and gift as well. So we don't know how many widows were present, but out of 20,000, it could have been a large number. So there's some planning and administration and skill that, that goes with caring for those in need. So there needs to be skill. And one of the reasons we're telling you this and want you to know this, not just because we're, we're, we're trying to clarify it as a church, but... Some of you are called to do this. And then all of us are called to be able to spot it, to, to identify it, to see these gifts and abilities and character in one another. 
Now, a question for some of you that, that might be burning in your mind is, can women be deacons? Anybody wondering that question? Can women be deacons? Well, there is a variety of opinions on this subject throughout Christianity, even in what we would maybe identify ourselves as a reformed circle of Christianity. It's about as divided a subject as it comes. I want to read my definition again, and then I'll answer the question. Deacons are recognized, skilled, godly servants that free up the pastors, elders, to do their primary work of preaching, prayer, study, equipping the saints in evangelism and discipleship by ensuring the temporal needs of the church are met. So if that is the definition, and that's what's being described in the office, I personally believe that women can be deacons. And I'm just going to give you a short defense of of why. And if you want to study, I have right now in my kitchen, I have a stack of books that they argue both ways on this subject. Um, First one, I believe they can be deacons as long as they do not violate the 2 Timothy 2.12 passage where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the context of the church. So that's kind of the the overriding idea that we believe that verse as pastors, as a church. So as long as that is not in violation, I think it's okay. And here's where the debate happens. Look at 1 Timothy 3. In verse 11, depending on what translation, most likely you have a footnote in verse 11 of your Bible, where it says, Their wives likewise must be dignified. Most of you have a footnote in your Bible that will bring you down and will either say it could be wives or women. So, so one of the, the debates, if you are for female deacons, is that this verse really can be translated, the women likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded. So a lot of translators put it wives, but it can be just as plainly translated the women as well. And then the idea of the word likewise seems to be a transition in thought. It's the same word that Paul uses in verse 8 when he transitions from the office of elder. He says, deacons likewise. So he's introducing a new category. So those who are pro-women being deacons think that, once again, a new category is being introduced. Likewise, the women must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded. So there's very specific character things that are being mentioned here for the women. What's interesting, when Paul talks about the elders, he says nothing about their wives' character. He doesn't even mention it. So that's just another thing that I think points to the possibility that that women can be deacons as well. And then verse 12 pushes it the other way again. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. That literally means a one-woman man, not a polygamist, literally, managing their children in their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So this is a debatable subject, but where I would land personally, as long as it's not a violation of 1 Timothy 2, I think it is very biblically permissible. And then to maybe even push it a little further, in in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, 
I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, that is the word for deacon, and it can have a range of meanings, but it literally is a deacon of the church in Senecria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Phoebe is described here as a deacon and seems to have a range of serving that has occurred in the church in Rome to the point where Paul, as he's concluding his letter and about to commend and recognize a whole bunch of people, he starts with Phoebe. Here's what I don't want you to do, and I know this can be a temptation, is the only thing you remember from this message is that, that women can be deacons. <laughs> I want us to, to back up and just end with the big picture, which was the idea that a growing church is stronger and will have a greater impact with recognized, skilled, qualified deacons, whether they be male or female. A growing church is stronger and will have a greater impact with recognized, skilled, qualified deacons. So as we revise and we strengthen our church structure and we try to establish this role in a more clear way, what a, a couple of things that we want you to do. We want you to pray about this. We want you to study the qualifications for yourselves in the Bible, 1 Timothy 3. And we want you to let us know of specific people that you think fit this role or office. And in our structures, we'll have mechanisms of how we go about this and, and the, the role of the church, and we're, we're kind of hashing all that out right now. But it's the big picture that is important, that a growing church will have a, a greater impact as we recognize this role. And I just want to conclude this message with verse 7, because my prayer, our prayer as pastors, is verse 7 would be true for our church as well. Acts 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. That's what God, I believe, wants for our church and every local church that's preaching the gospel, that the word of God would increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Let's pray and have the band come on up. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the clarity of your word. But we trust you with the parts that are difficult to understand. We ask for wisdom and accurate interpretation and understanding. But Lord, we pray for this role in this office that it would be established in such a way that, that verse 7 of Acts 6 could be fulfilled. That the gospel would grow even stronger and more people would be saved by Jesus and more people would be cared for by you. And we know that is your desire. Lord, we trust you. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing among us. And Lord, we just ask all this in your name. Amen.